0: to John 18, 33 through 1922 as we continue in this study of John. Believe in love, believe and live this series about Jesus. John 18. If you're using a pew Bible, that would be page 850. Look at that. You have no excuse to not have a Bible open today. I told you what page to open to I've even provided Bibles in front of you. With that said The scripture will not be on the screen today. It was just too much for me to type out when we have pew Bibles in front of you. You have Bibles on your phone, tablets. And if you don't have a Bible at home, I'll say it again. Feel free to take one home out of the pews or see me and we'll get you a special one to meet your needs as well. As you're turning, I want to start with this illustration. Throughout history, there have been many times of which people have reported would be infamous. Or to quote, Times which would live in infamy. Infamy, it's a word that Webster's Dictionary describes or defines as disgrace, dishonor, or great wickedness. I guarantee you most of you can, can think of at least one time which that word has been used and maybe hearing that definition, disgrace, dishonor, or great wickedness, helps you to understand the meaning or the power behind that use a little bit more. Such as the date of December 7th, 1941, of which the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, attacked the United States of America. President Roosevelt said, this would be a day that will live in infamy. The assassination of President Kennedy was also described as an infamous day in history, but not just history, the history of the United States. It's a day which was of great wickedness of great dishonor, of great disgrace. More recently, some might think of September 11th, 2001, and the day that America was attacked by terrorists. And we so often remember the World Trade Centers being bombed where most of the deaths happened, but it wasn't just an attack there. It was an attack on us in general. But as Christians today, we can remember another infamous day, and this is the day 2,000 years ago of which to Christians will ever stand as one of the most, if not the most, infamous day in the history of humanity. On this famous day, this infamous day of disgrace, dishonor, of great wickedness, of which God would still use for his glorious plan, kingdoms were in conflict. Kingdoms were in conflict. We saw the kingdom of Rome. We see the kingdom of the Jews. And we see the kingdom of God. And we see how those kingdoms, the kingdoms of the Jews who should know better, who know the law, who know their history, should come together and meet with the kingdom of God. But it doesn't, does it? It's funny, disgraceful, infamous how much the kingdom of the Jews in the scripture today comes together not with the kingdom of God. It's in conflict with the kingdom of God as their kingdom comes in line with the kingdom of Rome instead. On that famous day, that infamous day, mankind would raise their collective fist, as one pastor stated, against the Almighty Father. On that infamous day, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, became the Lamb of salvation to all humanity. This day, the day Jesus Christ was crucified, is the most infamous of all to us. It's a day which would be remembered for all time, a day of great wickedness on display, a day, though, without, not without great significance or purpose. In fact, God's hand was upon it all. It's so easy to see the infamous things of the world or the infamous things of time and think, how could this be? How could anything good come out of this? But even the most infamous of times God can use For his glory and the salvation and benefit of his people. And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing that the action, the pilot, the crowd, and Jesus reveal that Jesus is the long-awaited king. And although he will suffer and he will suffer greatly, it's not without purpose. It's not without significance. And it's not out of his control. Let me read to you what one pastor said of this scene. I think it's powerful. He said this. I believe this was a pastor by the name of David Guzik. He said... It is significant to remember that Jesus did not suffer as the victim of circumstance. He was in control. Jesus said of his life in John 10, 18, that no one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. Jesus also proclaimed, prophesied, said that he would be lifted up if the... If the Jews would have put him to death, he would have been stoned. But the Jews condemned him to death by a Roman death, which fulfilled scripture and prophecy. He was lifted up. This pastor says it is terrible to be forced to endure such torture. But to freely choose it out of love is remarkable. Can we ever rightly doubt God's love for us again? He has, not gone, has he not gone to the most extreme lengths to demonstrate that love? What we're about to read, it's a portrait of Jesus. It's a portrait of love. And as we said last week, it's not a pretty picture. It's hard to read, but it's powerful. Because it's powerful to see just how far God would go to show us his love and to show us a way out. Out of control, out of bondage to sin and into his arms and his forever presence by his grace. We have atonement for sin. We're going to read John eighteen thirty three to nineteen twenty two, and let me set the stage real fast because we are skipping a little bit ahead here. Jesus has now been betrayed. That's where we were at last. Jesus has been arrested. Jesus has been denied. Jesus has been questioned. He's been struck. He's been questioned some more. He's been denied some more, and now before Pilate, the governors at the governor's headquarters, he'll be condemned to death. Death. That's important to see here because the Jews here, they didn't want just some punishment. They didn't just want a little bit of blood. In fact, Pilate, multiple occasions, on multiple occasions, tries to hand Jesus back to him and say, Here is your king. we talked about that. He didn't want to condemn him to death. He didn't want to put him to death. He saw him as innocent. But the Jews, they wanted him to die. But here's the funny thing. We needed him to die. How ironic is that? As we read today, I want you to see that God providentially controls all these things. It's what God said would come to be, and it's what we needed to come to be. Let's read. John 18, 33 through nineteen twenty two. Follow along in your Bibles, please. My voice isn't that great to listen to. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus. This is the second time Jesus was brought before Pilate. The first time he sent him away, and now they're bringing him back. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber, a murderer, a thief, a convict. Verse 9, Chapter 19 here continues. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe, a color of royalty. They came up to him saying, Hail the king of the Jews and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out. Wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Verse 13 of chapter 19. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic cabasa. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. In the final section here. So they took Jesus and went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Let me pray as we dive into this. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great love. How deep the Father's love is for us. Lord, what treasure we have in Jesus. What treasure we have in your grace. What treasure we have in your word and the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. Lord, we pray now for you to speak to us and through us. Convict us where we need convicted. Encourage us where we need encouraged. Challenge us. Bring comfort. Bring strength. Lord, most important this morning, we pray for your glory. But we also pray for the edification of your saints, your children, your people, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray for the lost to be found. We pray for a great revival to the world. And it's in your holy and powerful name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Today, I want to bring attention to three ideas. And we're going to try to do this quite fast as we also have communion today and we're saving it for the end. It's probably apparent to you, but the scripture is all about what we are supposed to be remembering in communion. So we're doing it at the end. Number one, what I want to bring to your attention is this, Jesus is recognized as king in today's scripture. Jesus is recognized as king. It may not be for all the rightful reasons, but God does providentially control everything before us to proclaim to the Jews, the crowd that day, to the soldiers that day, to everybody who would come into that city and see that sign, Jesus is recognized as king. Number two, Jesus is rejected as king. And how disgraceful, how infamous is it that it's not by Pilate that he's rejected as king. It's not by the soldiers. Well, it is in a way, but what we're looking at is he's rejected by his own. And then number three, we see Jesus' response as king. Moving straight into this is number one. Jesus is recognized as king, the king of the Jews. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's word proclaiming of a king that would come to rule over God's people. And the people, they, they, they looked for this. Time and time again, they tried to place their own people in this, this place, this position of authority. But this king was said to be one that would not just rule over Israel, but would rule over all nations. And by saying all nations, we know the king that God had in plan for them would go beyond this earthly kingdom, would be a kingdom beyond and be eternal. But who will this king be? Well, as we get into John, we see it proclaimed. In John one forty-nine. we read this, we studied this. Nathanael identified Jesus as the king of Israel. And here in John 18, things come full circle as Jesus has been walking the earth, proclaiming of God's word, of his promises coming to be, the truth of life to be found in him and in his ways. And now Pontius Pilate of all people, Pilate, the Roman governor, is proclaiming also this Jesus to be the king of the Jews. He's identified. He may not be identified properly. We'll talk about that later, but it doesn't matter. He is being identified for all to either recognize or reject. How often we choose the wrong thing there within our own daily choices for life. What we see here, though, is despite Pontius Pilate proclaiming Jesus, the King of the Jews, is before you. He's not treating him as a king. Is he? We read of an interrogation. We read of a condemnation. We read of a flogging, we read of a scourging, or those are words which may just simply be defined as an excruciating, torturous way of whipping. We've talked about that to great lengths in the past. We won't focus on that. But here's what I want you to see. Despite the great mistreatment and suffering of Christ, even in this, miss, this infamous day's events, we can see something great. Christ is recognized as king. And even in the, the great sorrow of today's time, where people are causing great misfortune, great doom as Mona said earlier, great pain, great suffering to God's people, Christ will still be recognized as king. Whether it be today, in the future, for all eternity, Christ will be recognized. Here in the scripture, though, we see four specific times, four times in which Pilate refers to Jesus as the king of the Jews. Four times Jesus is recognized as king, despite not treating him as such. I want you to see this. Despite Jesus not being treated as an earthly king, he is still a sacrificial king. He's a sovereign king, and he's exactly the king we needed. The first recognition of king comes in verse 39. Look down at your copy of God's word as I read. Verse 39, scripture says, After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Secondly, after Jesus is whipped, flogged, scourged, Pilate again refers to Jesus as the king as he brings him back before them and says, Here is your king. Notice he's not saying, here is the man who claims to be king. Here is the man who who you're bringing to to me before he's because he's claiming to be the son of God. He is declaring, here is your king. They didn't see it, but he saw something was there. Third, Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out, crucify him. And Pilate would again reference the king Jesus and say, shall I crucify your king? But then notice what the Jews say. We have no king but Caesar. Jesus is carried away to infamously be crucified. But then fourth, lastly, I want to point out this. Pilate gives in to the people's demands to crucify Jesus, but not before first having a sign made to hang above his head. Now, in some ways, this sign is like when you're convicted of a crime or you're not, you're not quite judged yet, but you go in for your mug shots and you hold up a sign with your number. Well, this was Pilate giving Jesus his number, giving him a name and his name crime but in so doing this God would use it for all who would see him there to see who he truly is and was and still remains to be I quote verse 19 from 19 to 22 the sign publicly declared Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews but not just this in three languages One might say that all this recognition of Jesus as king by Pilate was simply another form of ridicule, mockery, or simply condescending remarks from Pilate to the Jews. And this may very well be true, because if Pilate truly thought Jesus was king, a God king, he wouldn't act this way, right? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus as Lord do you believe Jesus is king over your life? How often do we deny his righteous ways? Ultimately, Pilate's motives don't matter. What matters is we see Jesus is publicly identified, recognizing him as king. They don't submit Him to him as he should, they should, but he is recognized as king of the Jews. But we know him as more than that. We know him as king to all those who will follow him. And more than that, he is savior, Messiah, Lord, prince of peace, for he brings peace between us and the father. It's almost as if Pilate here was saying to them though, your long awaited king has arrived, here he is. Do you really want me to kill him? The people had plenty of opportunities to turn away. And it's so easy for us to say, how could they not see the truth in front of them? But let me also point out our own lives and point out that this was what was needed, and God used it. God used it. <clears throat> Something else to point out I once heard this said the voice in Pentapilate would be the instrument of God to announce to the world the fulfillment of prophecy. Here is Jesus, here is the Christ, the King of the Jews. All the world would be able to read this sign. It's interesting. It's in in a city which many would come to be, and it's not wrote just in one language. It's said it's wrote in three languages so that all those who would come would be able to read who this man not just claimed to be, but was. And he's still the king. Let's move forward. Jesus is rejected by his own. It's not flattering by any means to think about what Pilate did that day, what the soldiers did that day. Putting a a crown of thorns upon his head, mocking him, spitting on him, flogging him, whipping him. I said I wouldn't share a lot, but I do just want to share that flogging. It was said that after a flogging, many times it was so severe that a person's muscles or organs might actually be exposed. It said that it was so severe The commentators believe, or historians believe, the the Romans, they had this down to a science to know how to torture somebody so far that it was just before the point of death. And humiliation was obvious for all to see. It was also said that as a person would then be lifted up on that cross, the scourging would be so deep that bugs would get inside of those wounds. And birds might actually be devouring the skin. It's not flattering at all to think about the infamous day here before us and what the soldiers did, what Pilate did. But when we think of the fact that it's not Pilate which handed Jesus over to the soldiers to have that done, it's the Jewish people. It's God's own. They yelled out, crucify him, crucify him. And it's downright infamous, disgraceful, wicked to think about this, but it's also Glorious to think that God could use such a thing as that to deliver us They don't only reject Jesus though They reject God They deny God and they claim only to have one king Caesar The action of Pilate, they're not good at all But look at the actions of God's own people And then look at the actions of God's own people today around the world Mona read a statement on marriage, how often we should be proclaiming these truths. This is a godly institution of marriage. God brought man and woman together, and what God created, he said, is good, and no one should separate. God created the sexes, male and female. God has made things to be a certain way and for a certain reason and be glorious. Let's get off the soapbox and go back. How infamous are these people? How wicked are these people? They choose Barabbas instead of the Christ. But how often do we do the same as we choose the sin instead of the Savior? How infamous are we when we too deny the king his rightful place within our lives and in a way we yell out, crucify him instead of Lord, come into my life. Why do the Jews reject their prophesied Messiah? We look to why Pilate might have recognized the king here. It might have been mockery. It probably was. He didn't treat him as king, but God still used it. Why do the Jews treat him in this way? They didn't like what he had to say. The Jewish people rejected Jesus as king because he challenged them in their conduct of living. He challenged them to live not the way of the world, but as a way set apart from the world. He challenged them to change. And how often do people today reject Jesus for the same? It's truth, but because it hurts, we we'll are deny it. Because it hurts, because it causes us to change our life, we'll close our eyes and ears. We'll turn the other direction. We'll rebel against it. It's truth, but because we don't like it, we'll create our own religion. I've said before, there are over 2,000 religions created by man across the world today. Because they don't like the truth. Because it causes them to feel guilty and know they need to change. And they don't want to. People reject the very thing they need the most. That's Jesus. People need the gospel. They needed it then and they needed it today. Nothing's changed here. People are like, as one pastor said, I shared this with Pastor Chuck today. People are like pigs going into a pig pen. <clears throat> They're dirty, yet they continue to go to the mud Because they desire the things that they shouldn't. I wrote the same is true for us today. People are dirty. They need cleanse. They need Jesus. I wrote down our kids often need a bath, a shower. They may not think they need it, they may refuse or go in kicking and screaming. But we will still present the truth and help them lead, help lead them into it. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You've had kids, you say, go take a shower, go take a bath. Why, mom? I don't want one. You need one. I don't need one. Smell your pits. You need one. <laughs> Guys, the world around us has a stench. They need Jesus. The same is true today. And despite the kicking and screaming, we must hold on to the truce ourselves. Don't allow their kicking and screaming to bring us down. But then also, don't just allow the kicking and screaming to prevent us from declaring their, their great need. They rejected the king. People reject the king today. But people still need the king. One theologian said, people today still reject Jesus and choose another. Their Brabus might be their lust. It might be their intoxication. It might be their self and their own comforts of life. People still reject Jesus, but it's obviously they still need him, and we do too. Let's look to number three. We can't wrap up without looking to Jesus' response as king. He truly is king, but Jesus isn't just king of Israel. He's not just king of Rome. He's king over all things. And he's a king to something unlike anything in this world. He's a king to a kingdom that is beyond this world and is eternal and will never end. And the overall astonishing response of this King Jesus, the response of Jesus over his subjects is this. He takes it all. He takes it all. We see in scripture today, he's tried and denied, he's interrogated, but he takes it. He takes the mockery, the shouting, the condemnation. He takes the pain, the flogging, the whipping, the scourging. The son of God. He takes the humiliation. He takes the nails. He's lifted up and he takes the death. He takes it all. But what I want you to see is he takes all what we deserve. There's a few of you in here when you ask, when you're asked, how are you doing? You like to proclaim better than I deserve. All this that Jesus takes is what we deserve for our sin, but Jesus is the atonement for our sin. He took us to bridge a gap between us and God the Father so that we might be saved for eternity. We might confess Jesus is Lord. Follow after him and be saved. Three times Jesus responds, not just in these ways, but to Pilate directly. In verse 36, he responds in identifying his kingdom. And in his description, he says his kingdom is not a threat to Rome. Why? Well, for one, Rome would fall on its face on its own. But his kingdom is beyond. His kingdom is better than anything of this world. His kingdom will never fall. We all too often look to the world's kingdoms. We look to their values. We look to hope and values to be found in them. When really all hope, all wisdom, all truth, all life is only to be found in the kingdom of Christ. The world feeds us sugary lies, I wrote down, which will not sustain for eternity, but for a day. But his truth sustains not just for a day, but for salvation and deliverance into his kingdom forever. I want to repeat that to you. The world feeds us sugary lies. Anybody in here have parents? Anybody ever tell you? Any parents ever tell you? That's not a good breakfast. It's just sugar. It won't sustain you. Thank you, Gabe. What the world's trying to feed us, it won't sustain us for eternity. But what Christ has for us, what God has sent to us in the form of Christ and his love, his grace... That will provide eternal life with him forever. The world feeds us sugary lives which will not sustain for eternity, but Jesus feeds us the truth. And his truth doesn't sustain for just a day, but for salvation and deliverance to eternity with God. Two, Jesus' second response, he responds in recognition of who Pilate claims him to be. Jesus proclaims that his purpose in birth was to be the king of God's people. And three, the final response of Jesus, verses 9 to 11 and 19 is a great proclamation of authority. He says to Pilate, you only have the authority you have because it's granted to you. Jesus could have sent down legions of angels to be at his side and fight, but that wasn't his mission. And that's not our mission today. Our mission is to go forth and declare of his great victory, And declare that his victory is still here today for every single person to accept and follow after. And he will have victory forever and ever. Hear this, nothing is out of control for God. Despite all the doom and gloom. Despite all the sugary lies. The king of the Jews, Jesus, may be about to die here. But despite the death of Jesus, the kingdom of God will not be shaken. He will rise victorious and will conquer sin. Then... And now and forever for eternity. I was reminded this morning of a past sermon. I don't even remember, but a person in here had a takeaway. Jesus wins, exclamation mark. That's what we can remember. Jesus wins. Even in the crucifixion, Jesus wins. God's kingdom was not shaken. His plan was not shaken. He was victorious and his victory continues. It continues. Let's remember these things. We're going to close with these things on our mind as we go to communion this morning. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I just want to welcome the worship team back up here. And we'll go straight into talking about the bread and distributing it, and then we'll sing a song, and then we'll take the cup together. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for we can see in all of this that Jesus is revealed as king. And despite the suffering, despite the pain, despite the condemnation, and despite the crucifixion, you were still in control. Your will was done, and you were glorified in it. And we were greatly blessed. May we remember these things, Lord, and may we see our Jesus. May we see that through his death, we have a new covenant, one based on love and grace and forgiveness forever. And we have peace restored with you. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray. All God's people said, amen. I'm actually going to ask the band to... Go- Sing the first verse now